Friends, we were supposed to kick off a new sermon series this Sunday, but that's going to have to wait. Our scripture passage for this day is from the Gospel of Luke. Hear this story as if for the first time, and listen for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. Then the assembly rose as a body and brought Jesus before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man perverting our nation, forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Then Pilate asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, "Uh, You say so. Then Pilate said to the chief priest and to the crowds, I find no basis for an accusation against this man, but they were insistent and said, He stirs up the people by teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, where he began even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him off to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had been wanting to see him for a long time because he had heard about him and was hoping to see him perform some sign. He questioned him at some length, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Even Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then he put an elegant robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. That same day, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate then called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and said to them, "Uh, You brought me this man as one who was perverting the people. And here I have examined him in your presence and have not found this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither has Herod. For Herod sent him back to us. Indeed, he has done nothing to deserve death. I will therefore have him flogged, and then I'm going to release him. Then they all shouted together, Away with this fellow! Release Barabbas for us! This was a man who had been put in prison for an insurrection that had taken place in the city, and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no ground for the sentence of death. I will therefore have him flogged and and then release him. But they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave his verdict that their demand should be granted. He released the man they asked for, the one who had been put in prison for insurrection and murder, and he handed Jesus over as they wished. Like you, I watched in horror, shock, and dismay as the United States Capitol was stormed and besieged this past Wednesday. As the images poured in of the destructive violence, I was scared for our democracy and for our nation. I was enraged when I saw the Confederate flag, a symbol of hatred, not heritage, paraded around the halls of our Capitol in 2021. I was equally enraged as I saw anti-Semitic slogans paraded on sweatshirts. I was scared. As I am each time, I see police overwhelmed by force, and I was offended. 
As I watched Senate offices broken into, House members' desk plummaged and property looted, I kept saying, is this really happening? This is America? Similar words have been uttered countless times throughout our nation's history. During these deeply divided days, surely you have uttered the same question in response to some late breaking news. I did what so many of us have done this week. I began reaching out to friends and to family and I checked in on them. I spoke with someone this week who said, this feels like Kent State all over again. Another said, this feels just like 9-11 to me. I spoke to a friend who was very quiet before asking, can you imagine had these people been brown or black? I called one of my friends uh, who is among the staunchest conservatives I know, and they said, I'm at a total loss for words. I'm just flat angry. Shock, dismay, anger, rage, contempt, sadness, grief. All of those emotions seem reasonable to me. I've settled into a state of grief. Grief for the loss of life. Grief over the loss of civility and honor. Grief over the polarization those who have helped to perpetuate it through incendiary lies and intentional exploitation of people through misinformation. It's dangerous, and it's not the way of God. As people of faith, how do we walk these days? How do we hear and listen for God in the midst of our own anger, in the midst of our own bias, in the midst of our own sadness, and dare I say, in the midst of our own contempt? Father Gregory Boyle's words are a good reminder for us. You know you've made God into your own image when God begins to hate the very people you do. I've thought much this week of our scripture passage that was just read and the account of Jesus' final days, days when the powers and principalities traded him back and forth like a hot potato, no one wanting to get caught with him in the end, no one wanting his blood on their hands. I've thought about how this ancient story continues to reveal a uh, eternal truths, that power will go to great lengths to ensure their gains with little regard to life. The biblical text has revealed to me this week that when we see others as pawns to be moved on a board for personal gain, or worse, political gain, we have ceased to see them as fully human. The text is revealed to me this week that when we view one another as merely an opponent to be defeated, we have ceased to understand and recognize our kinship. 
Oh, the text has revealed to me this week that when we speak in dehumanizing language, we are devoid of our own humanity. The text has revealed yet again when dehumanizing behavior becomes the norm, it leads to escalating violence. Death is not far away. The text also revealed something else to me this week. Maybe it's because I read it outside of uh, when we typically read this text during Holy Week. Reading it this week, it revealed to me that God doesn't look away from the messiness and brokenness of our lives or our political systems. After all, it was politics that killed Jesus. And to be clear, it was uh, religious people who asked politicians to do their dirty work for them. Jesus was seen as a pawn to be taken off the board. Jesus was seen devoid of his humanity, his value, his inherent worth. So the question that is before us this Sunday is the question that is before us all of our days. What does our faith say about the living of these days? You may be surprised to know that the democracy that we enjoy in America was based off of the same form of government that we follow here at the church. It's true. American democracy was based off the form of government known through the Church of Scotland. Any of our elders and deacons who have gone through leadership training here at the church will tell you that a core tenet of our form of government is the phrase mutual forbearance. Mutual forbearance means uh, that we can disagree on matters of substance. We can disagree on matters of great consequence and yet remain connected to one another. Mutual forbearance means that we may enter into uh, heated debates and we may argue our points vehemently. And after our arguing and our debating, we trust the will of the body above our own opinion. Mutual forbearance is dependent upon us all, recognizing the humanity and the inherent value of one another. Mutual forbearance is dependent upon us recognizing our mutual belonging. When I was 25, I got my first associate pastor job, and I was excited and nervous and deeply afraid of messing up and failing. Basically, I was a normal 25-year-old in their first real job. Anyway, during my first month, I found myself uh, sitting next to my boss, the senior pastor, Pam Drizell, when we were at a presbytery meeting. If you don't know what a presbytery meeting is, just uh, think of it this way. It's a super nerdy church meeting that feels a lot like a school board meeting. Anyway, a contentious matter was brought before the entire body and people were arguing back and forth and the temperature of the room was rising and rising and each speaker became more and more passionate. And then it was time to vote. And the moderator knew that uh, the vote was going to be close. So instead of calling uh, for a mere vocal vote, they asked if all those in favor of the motion, if they would please stand. And so I immediately jumped up. 
to cast my vote in favor of the motion. And as soon as I got up, I sort of looked around and I quickly realized uh, that I was the only person on my row standing. My boss was right there and she was still sitting. And then the moderator called for the no votes. And as I sat down, my boss, Pam, stood up and I was mortified. What was she going to think of me? Would she judge me? Would she trust me? Would she remember this? Again, I was 25. This was totally normal, remember. After the votes were tallied, I sheepish, sheepishly turned over to her and I said, uh, did I miss something? Did I not fully understand what was being debated? I mean, I thought we agreed. I thought we agreed, but we didn't vote the same way. And Pam just smiled and said, no, you just heard the differing sides and you voted your conscience and I voted mine. It's how it works. I don't even remember what the issue was. I, frankly, to this day, don't remember how the vote turned out. But Pam taught me that day that there is a way to see one another's humanity, to value the voice of one another, to disagree and yet stay connected. Mutual forbearance means that we come to recognize that our voice is not greater than another's voice. Mutual forbearance teaches us that no singular voice is greater than the whole. That's why mutual forbearance is hard. That's why it takes work. Because it calls us to go beyond our egos, beyond how right we think we are, beyond the incessant need to win all the time and at all cost, and to recognize the inherent value of the body that we belong to and to recognize that our lives are greater than our own. What we saw this week, my dear friends, is what happens when we fail to live this out. What we saw this week is when we allow dehumanizing language and rhetoric to be normalized so that we can no longer recognize our kinship. Mutual forbearance is our response to the crucifixion. In our passage from this morning, we see what happens and we have no regard for differing opinions. But as Christians on this side of the cross, we are free to choose another way. Crucifixion was the way of Christ. But it doesn't have to be our way. Simply put, we don't have to crucify one another. For there is another way to live beyond the violence and the dehumanization. There's another way to live 
beyond the rhetoric. It's the way of God. It's the way of justice and peace and inclusion. May that be our path this day and all of our days. May it be so. Amen.